Welcome to BibleQuest.tv. Glad to see everyone here today. And I'm glad to be seen now that I have the lighting set right. Glad to see you here, Scott. How are you doing, Scott? I'm okay. How are you today, Drew? Okay, not too bad. Stephen, how are you doing? Stephen, over in Harrisburg? Yes, good. Greetings, Drew. How are you doing? I'm doing good, I think. Scott, Scott is our program director. And Scott, I forgot to mention, but you're down in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. That's right. Or near it, anyway. Near, near. And uh, Jeff is with us from Exton, near Exton. Hi, Jeff. Good to see you. No, I'm actually in Exton. <laughs> okay, you're in Exton. <laughs> oh, but Exton's not a real place. It's just a census-designated place, so. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, I was going to say something, but I think I'll backtrack off of that one. <laughs> that go in the wrong area. It's our job, here. Drew. It's our job. We, we conspire each week. How can we throw Drew off so he loses track of what he wants to say at the very beginning of the program? Well, I'll tell you, it doesn't take much. doesn't take much with the technical stuff, too, going on. But thankfully, Jonathan, Jonathan is here to help us with some of that technical stuff and monitor. Good to see you, Jonathan. How you doing? Doing really good. It's good to see you guys this week. Good. If you guys, if the, everyone in the audience, you're coming in through multiple channels, we're glad you're able to join us today during the live program. For those of you who are listening to the recording of this program through the podcast, we're very happy you're able to download and listen as well. We want to invite all of you to chime in, give us your thoughts, your questions, your comments. You can go to the website, www.biblequest.tv. Use the form to fill out the comments, or if you're listening live, you can do that on the YouTube channel uh, with the text uh, box, or if you're coming in using the Zoom app, you can also use the Q&A box there. Or and another additional thing that we're waiting for someone to, to, to step up to the plate and is to call in with their audio, with their voice. Using the Zoom app, you just click the little icon there and we bring you in with your audio live. Any which way you want, we do want to hear from you. We want the question from you. Now, we have an interesting question coming in today. Actually, all the questions are interesting. Today's uh, an interesting question. And the title... I think if I recall right, guys, didn't we say, didn't one of you say the title is um, Works of God and Phony Works of God, right? We're dealing with a question that came in from a viewer that's asked a question. I recently had a discussion about magicians. Uh, She watched a video that, this person watched a video that claimed that the magic is the magicians are evil and from satan uh, she's very frightened of anything that even hints if the superna- of the supernatural she hates halloween for example and i think most of us understand that some of these things can be used for evil but a lot of of it we take lightly and know god is stronger than satan i think the magicians such as david copperfield and Houdini, were great performers who did their tricks with illusions and a little bit of practice or a lot of practice I thought most people understood a lot of their methods, such as special boxes, contortions, etc. But she says that they are involved in Satan worship, things like that. What do you think, and what should be our stand as Christians in these matters? Very good and interesting question, guys. Scott, where do you want to go with this? Well, let's start with uh, Acts chapter 8, just look at a biblical bent, and then we'll contrast that with some other things. So in Acts chapter 8, um, Philip has gone up to Samaria. 
And Philip is an evangelist. Philip's able to do miracles. He's not able to pass them on, but he can do miracles. And what are some of the miracles that he has done up there in Samaria, and for what purpose? Well, uh, go, go ahead, Drew. I don't think he did any miracles. Oh, I'm, oh yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking you mentioned you said Philip. I'm sorry. I think you're yeah, talking Philip. about somebody else. Go ahead. So Philip, in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 7, it describes him as having uh, cast out uh, unclean spirits. Um, people who were palsied or lame were healed. Those are some of the miracles he had done. And I think the purpose is evident in that the result was multi, the multitudes, according to verse 6, gave heed with one accord unto the things that were spoken when they heard and saw the signs which he did. They're called signs because they signified that he was a messenger from God, that his message was uh, from God. And so, and that's what people got out of it. And so they were willing to listen to what he had to say. Yeah, I like the Hebrews. Go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, that's one thing that's really important to remember about biblical miracles. I think some people get the impression that people were just kind of doing miracles willy-nilly in the New Testament. And that's just not the case. There was a specific purpose for miracles. And it was to approve the teaching of the one doing the miracles. Because anybody can stand up and say, yeah, I'm from God. This is what God wants you to do. But not just anybody can get up and say, hey, I'm from God. Here's what God wants you to do. You want me to prove it? Here, lame guy, get up and walk. <laughs> the guy gets up and walks. You listen to that guy because he has the authority to back up what he's saying. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it talks about the message that had been spoken through the Lord and was confirmed by to us by those that heard God bearing witness with them, both by signs, wonders, manifold powers, by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. What passage is that, Scott? Hebrews 2, 3. And during the ministry of Christ, what does Nicodemus say when he comes to Jesus? Nicodemus, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do the signs you do except God be with him. Right. So in Acts 8, Philip is gone. We see the purpose of him doing it. He's doing the miracles. And there's somebody else in the city. Verse 9. Somebody start there for us back in Acts chapter 8. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time. Uh, excuse me. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, preaching good tidings concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. And then very interestingly, verse 13, what happens? Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Yes, he's amazed. So you can imagine if you're Simon and whatever tricks you've been doing, whether it involves some pharmaceutical hallucinogenic drugs or some sleight of hand or some plants in the audience, you know, types of things that either magicians today do or sorcerers of the past did. Whatever he's done, he's been trying to give an impression, give an impression, and his purpose was an evil one because his purpose was to do what? Deceive people. Yeah. 
He wanted to pass yeah. himself off as having supernatural powers. But it reminds me, Philip's reaction when he saw power from God demonstrated reminds me of the magicians that Pharaoh had back in the times of the plague, of the plagues. Uh, when Moses and Aaron uh, brought the plagues, when God brought the plagues upon the Egyptians, and the, the magicians could imitate some of them. But after the third plague, uh, the magicians were not able to duplicate that one, and so they concluded that this was the finger of God. I like to read the text here in, in chapter 8, verse 18. The magicians tried with their secret arts, their magician tricks, to bring forth gnats, but they could not do it. And so then verse 19 says, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. <laughs> and that's kind of Simon's reaction. Oh, wow, that what Philip's doing really is from God. Yeah. If you go to, if you watch, uh, some of you may have seen, I've seen it once, Penn and Teller are a couple of modern day magicians, and they do tricks. They don't claim to have supernatural power. They do tricks. And they've got a program where other magicians come and perform for them. And it's the, the theme is try to fool us. And they'll sit there and they'll watch. And lots of times they can figure out how the magician did it. Okay, you did this this way, right? You did. And then sometimes you might have something like one time one of them caught it and the other didn't. But one of them anticipated, oh, this is what this is going to be. And they'll discuss it. And if you fool them, of course, that's a great thing. They're not pretending that they have a power from God, but that's what Simon was doing. But if you've been pretending and a fella comes to town and here's a lame man who supposed somebody like Acts 3, lame from birth, 40 years old or more, had been daily laid in the same spot. He's a public fixture. Everybody knows him. You come to town and you make him walk. How do you fake that? Yeah, there's no way to fake that. Yeah. Uh, you go to Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, and you say, come out of the tomb, and he comes out of the tomb. How do you fake that? You can't fake that one at all. <laughs> and so Simon, instead of thinking, wow, Philip's pretty good, he realizes this is the real thing. And then the purpose of the miracle is done. He becomes a believer. Okay, so let's contrast that with a magician today. Well, before, before we go on, Scott, could we just interject this? What Simon had been doing was something that was condemned. Uh, you go back in the Old Testament, and God's people were not supposed to engage in that kind of thing. In Deuteronomy 18, right. verses 9 and 10, when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, sacrificing children. And then it says, or one who uses divination, who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. So all of these people who claimed to uh, be connected to the, to the supernatural realm and be able to do things and have insights uh, from the supernatural realm, um, th that they they that they were not to be doing that. And here we're talking about people who were like Simon the Sorcerer, giving themselves out as someone having the power of you could say God. Yeah, and similarly, and oh, later in Acts and Acts nineteen, uh, we see that those who believed in Ephesus, there are many of them who had previously practiced magic arts. And it says in Acts 19, verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
and they counted the value of them and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So these were Christians uh, who formerly uh, practiced magic and realized that to repent and do what was right, I'm going to burn these magic books because God doesn't want me to do that anymore. But now the question is going to be when we use the word magic and we talk about a guy who's on stage doing what everybody knows is an illusion, even if it amazes us, how in the world did he do that? Is that the same thing? And so let's start with something a little bit in between. How many of us have been to a party and you play a party game where some of the people in the room know the trick and other people don't. Yeah. <laughs> Psychiatrist, you get people in a, in a circle and you send some people out of the room and say, okay, you think you're the person to your left. And so if the person to my left is a 30 year old woman in a red sweater and she's five foot five, then when they ask me a question, you know, what are you wearing? Well, I'm wearing red. You know, how tall are you? Well, I'm five foot five. You answer for the other person. Well, this goes on and on. Everybody is in on the trick. No, but the people that have come in, they're trying to figure out what our problem is. The answer to the game is, oh, you think you're the person next to you. So you play for a little while and somebody goes, oh, I got it. A little while later, oh, I got it. And sometimes you might be the poor soul that at the end you sort of get it now. Um, that's kind of what goes on in a magic trick. The, the fellow, he's an entertainer. He's going to do something. And you're sitting there and there's, there's kind of a fascination in seeing, wow, how did he do it? Drew, you've done some uh, tricks like that in the past, right? Oh, yeah. I didn't. You said you weren't going to bring this up. Yeah. I was, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to do any trick right now. But, yeah, I was doing uh, card tricks. I, I developed some card tricks. And I, I was showing your mom and dad when they first moved to Fairlawn. They came to our house. And your mother... I mean, they knew these were tricks, but I think she was being cute. Your mother said, Dale, we got to burn his books. <laughs> <laughs> and with card tricks, it might be that you put one card back in, oriented a different way, and the magician is able to notice that. Or there might be a slight marking on the card, or there's some sleight of hand, or you've got a duplicate card. And, and, the, and as long as a person is open that this is just a trick, you know, this is a game, the audience can enjoy doing that. So if, you, if you're entertaining that matter, I don't think that's the same at all as what Simon was doing because he was giving out that he was, you know, had some supernatural power. Now, well, if you're he was, and he was also accepting acknowledgement from the audience. Yes, he yes. is God, or he is has this power, power of God. Kind of like, what, why did King Herod die in Acts 12? They were saying the voice of a God and not of a man, and he didn't give God the glory. Yeah, he came out, the Bible talks about in some glorious raiment. Josephus mentions this event, and he says that Herod came out, and it was kind of like a sequined, outfit. It had a little plates of metal and the angle of the sun hit him and it was like radiant. He was like glowing. And the audience says, oh, it's, it's a God. And Herod accepts that. Well, text Acts 12 says what happens to him? Eaten by worms and dies. Yeah, he, he dies and he, eaten by worms. Uh, so that's Obviously wrong. Now, if you're a magician and you go somewhere and you try to give the aura, say you've got a pentagram in the back, you've got, you know, some flames going, you've got some evil or 
or supernatural sounding name, and you're really trying to give the aura and make people think that you've sold your soul to Satan or that you've got some power from God, well, that's evil. Even, Scott, even if you, you know, officially acknowledge I'm an illusionist, but if you put that kind of spin on the whole thing, at the very least, you're making light of the idea that there would be something something wrong with tapping into or claiming to tap into the underworld or claiming to tap into the power of Satan. We don't want to make light of that. Now, here's something I would like to bring up, and it has to do with this and some other things as well. And that is that very often we get distracted by what we think is really satanic and don't notice what is satanic. Let me give you a, a few examples. The Church of Satan. You remember back in the 1960s, somebody out in California started the Church of Satan. And people, oh, that's horrible. Well, yes, it is horrible. But the people that belong to Satan, are they limited to a few people in the Church of Satan out in California? No. No. Uh, or somebody hears, oh, there's some Satan worshipers in the county. We found a pentagram and some, you know, chicken guts. Oh, no. Well, yeah, that's bad. That's wicked. But what real power do these, you know, kids have that are, you know, smoking pot and cutting up a chicken and drawing a pentagram? So in, in, in contrast to those kids out there or the Church of Satan, Jesus could talk to just the typical population of his day to the Jews, and he could say to them in John 8, verse 44, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, it is your will to do. These were what we would call church-going, uh, God-fearing people. They were Jews yes. who believed in the God of the Old Testament, um, but they were, uh, they belonged to Satan. Yeah, and the false, the false apostles that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, he said they're apostles, they're, you know, they're messengers of Satan. So you don't have to have sold your soul to the devil for the devil to have your soul. You know, you didn't have to sign a contract in blood. Uh, you have to sin. Um, and, and so this idea, and what, I'll give you an example. Years ago in biblical archaeology review, an idol had been found. Uh, archaeologists had found it in Canaan, and it had an inscription and so in Biblical Archaeology Review, they had a photograph of the idol and the inscription. And some preacher wrote in, and he was alarmed. You printed that demonic, you know, message, you know, and, and, and he, he said this could unleash, you know, the powers of Satan and stuff. To him, it was like there was power in that idol and power in that message. And that by print, you know, that needed to be, you know, buried and sealed up, you know, to keep Satan at bay. And by printing it, it could let demons out all over the place and stuff. And in Jeremiah 10, where there's a warning against idolatry, it says, don't be like the nations. And maybe somebody pull up that passage. Don't be like the nations that are dismayed at the signs of the heaven and different things and, and bowing down before the statue. Does that text say, don't be like the nations because these powerful, powerful idol gods are not quite as powerful as your God? No. In but Jeremiah 10, verse 2, thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, be not, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. 
for the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nail so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. So it takes an intentionally funny picture of this worthless idol that can't do good or do evil. You know, I could tell if I start the Church of Tabasco sauce, oh, oh, I, <laughs> and we all we worship the Tabasco sauce, and, and we we appeal to its power, and we do pentagrams in front of the Tabasco sauce and everything. Well, that's evil and that's wicked because I should be worshiping God. But it's not like you know it can still make your chili taste better, but that's kind of about it. And it's but the the distraction then if I get everybody else to think. Oh, and, and you guys all said, just stay away from the Tabasco God and we're safe from Satan. No, Satan gets his way when people are sinning. Misdirecting your attention to a false idol is a sin, but also this idea of thinking, oh, that's where Satan is in that little spot over there. No, he's not limited to that little spot. And the problem with idolatry is it was the distraction of thinking those things were real or powerful when they were like a statue in a cucumber. Yeah. You know, I think about Second uh, Corinthians. Uh, is it 11 where it talks about um, Satan disguising himself as an angel of light? Yeah, Second Corinthians 11 uh, in verse 14. He's talking about false apostles here. But he says, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And the goal of Satan is not to come out in red spandex with horns and a tail and say, hey, look, worship me. <laughs> uh, the goal of Satan is to look as much like Jesus as he can and to disguise himself as an angel of light. So you think he's righteous, you think this is the way to God, but actually he's deceiving you. And so in some ways, the more overtly evil something looks on the outside, it's dangerous, but it's not as dangerous as the thing that looks just like the good stuff, but actually it's evil in disguise. Yeah, the, the, the box that says rat poison and it has a skull and crossbones is safer than the item, you know, that you put in the medicine cabinet that doesn't have the label on it anymore and somebody makes a mistake for what it is. Jeff, you were going to say something about gold. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I, I don't remember. <laughs> Okay, sorry, we started talking at the same time. No, that's sorry. all right. That's all right. That's all right. Drew, looked like you had something to say. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out, what is the connection now with a modern-day magician in, and the connection with him and that bottle of Tabasco? Oh, yeah. If I watch, say, Penn and Teller, and I think, oh, that must be Satan work, so I'm not going to watch them and I turn off the TV, whoo, I stayed away from Satan. A trick done by Penn and Teller, that's not from Satan. Now, I know at least one of them is an atheist, and a quite outspoken atheist. That's something more to worry about than the thing that he acknowledges was a card trick or, or something like that. Jonathan. Um, yeah, going along with this idea, um, uh, Benjamin Young had a, a comment on our YouTube page. Uh, he said, is there a distinction 
between recognizing reality and respecting conscious consciousness in regard to the topic of magic arts, similar to what Paul addresses in First Corinthians eight four through thirteen. Yeah, respecting conscience. Excellent yeah, question. Excellent question. Who wants to start with that? Yeah, on that, you think about that in First Corinthians chapter eight, Paul gives a principle about uh, meat sacrifice to idols, and the first point that Paul makes, he's going to get to the crux of it in First Corinthians ten, is that listen. If you do something that even if you know it's okay, but it causes your brother to stumble, you should be willing to give that up because if meat causes my brother to stumble, I won't eat meat again. And in this, if there is someone who has a conscientious issue with things that are called magic, even if it's just illusions uh, or things like that, I'm not going to, oh, you should come to this magic show over here when they're just doing illusions. You know, I'm not going to try try to cause my brother to stumble uh i'm going to respect their conscience on that even if i understand and and also Stephen, would we would say we don't want to make fun of them or 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 look down upon them that that is something that they're struggling or they that that's their conscience and they just look at it that way and you gotta let it go right that's right first Romans romans 14 you don't despise your brother yeah, in Romans 14, in Rome, you had, of course, Jewish brethren and Gentile brethren. Well, the Gentile brethren ate whatever meat was at the market. Uh, they didn't worry about where it came from, if it was pork they ate it, if it was, you know, shellfish they ate it. The Jews were being very careful not to eat a lot of these things. Uh, the Gentiles were working on Saturday. The Jews weren't. And he talks about that these brethren needed to accept each other, and the Jews shouldn't be judging the Gentiles, but the Gentiles shouldn't be despising the Jews. And it said in verse 13, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Judge ye this, that no man put a stumbling block in his brother's way or occasion of falling. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself. Saying to him who accounts anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of meat your brother is grieved, you walk no longer in love. Destroy not with your meat him for whom Christ died. And it says toward the end, he that doubts is condemned if he eats. If the Jewish brother thinks he shouldn't eat bacon, but he's just so tempted by the smell, I'm going to eat it anyway. Well, that was wrong because he's willing to sin against God. So let's bring it home like this. Say you're having a birthday party and your kid's there and some other kids are there. And there's a family you know that really thinks that magic tricks themselves are evil and satanic. You've invited their kid to the party. Should I have Drew come over and say, hey, Drew, show us that card trick? No, you should not. That'd be horrible. You know, here's, here's somebody, they're, they're alarmed about something they don't need to be alarmed about, I believe in this case, just like the Jew is worried about eating, thinking he can't eat bacon. Well, it would have been okay to eat bacon, but... This family has sent their child over to my house, and if I know that would bother them, I need to respect those parents, respect that child, not put that child in that situation. And so just say, oh, no, let's not do that, because this that would bother their conscience. And don't do that. that, that that's an important principle on all sorts of things. So, so let, let me just make, make it clear, then, that we're, we're not sitting here making fun of anybody that thinks magic is of Satan. We're just trying to ex- express what the scripture talks about magic. And is there a difference between magic and, uh, what's the word you use, illusionist? Uh, and what 
what do we deal with, uh, how do we deal with as Christians? So really there's two, two sides of this coin, what we think about it ourselves and also be sensitive of what maybe our friend or brother in Christ thinks about it. Okay, so, well, I, well maybe I can do this quickly. So we, we've got two issues here we're talking about. One is where do we draw the line between innocent and satanic? And the other is being careful to be considerate of the consciences of someone else who may draw the line at a different place uh, and be a little bit more careful in avoiding anything that could even appear to be misguided. Um, so just to give an illustration, you talked about party games a little bit, and this is on the side of where to draw the line, where actually is the distinction. Uh, you talked about party games earlier, Scott. There's a party game that we used to play where um, you would spread out on the floor um, uh, uh, three by three, uh, three rows, three columns of, of say, a sheet of paper. Uh, there's, so there's nine sheets of paper in this rectangular array. And then you have uh, somebody go out of the room and uh, you all say, okay, we're going to say it's, it's the bottom row, the one on the far right. And then, the, then you come in with, you bring the person who wasn't in the room, doesn't know which one it is. You say, is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? And when you point to the bottom row far right, the person says, yes, that one. And everybody goes, how did he know? And so then everybody else tries to do it and they can't figure it out. So the one person goes back out who's in on it and says, yes, it's the one in the top row far left. The, the trick is there's two ways to do it, but one way to do it is when you point to the sheet of paper, which is the correct sheet of paper, you point to the part of the paper that would represent the, the place in the whole array. So if it's the top left one, then you point to the top left corner of the paper. It's, it's as simple as that, but everybody knows it's a trick, but they're just amazed. How in the world does he know? What's, what's the gimmick? How is he signaling it? That's innocent. But if after we do that a few times, everybody's just befuddled and I say, well, what this is is proof that I am connected to the spirits and, and, right. and you need right. to start listening to what I tell you about decisions in your life. Well, I've crossed over into what is wrong there. That would be right. kind of the difference between what's on the right side of the line and the wrong side of the line. So here, here's my favorite favorite tricks from the unknown comic, if you remember him back in many decades ago, right? Nothing in my hand, right? Right, nothing in my hand. Aha, aha. <laughs> There's also that. Oh, yes. See if you Classic. can figure out how either of those were done. <laughs> Judgment told me not to do that, but I ignored it. <laughs> Who told you not to do that? Judgment. Judgment. Oh, judgment. <laughs> yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't always get his way. He's up there, but he, he sometimes gets drowned out by another. Person. I thought maybe judgment was also known as Lucas, in which case I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> if even Lucas told you not to do that. It's better with music, yo. da 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 yeah. Okay. All right. You wanted to move on to something else. Yeah. yeah. Kind of related. How about let's talk about <laughs> faith healers who sometimes are about as obvious. As um, they're doing something very similar. They're using tricks 
but instead of giving the impression they're getting a power from Satan, they're giving the impression that they got it from God. A famous one was then Peter Popoff. You can look him up, P-O, I'm not sure if it's a double P or not, and then O-F-F. Uh, so years ago, he was doing a routine, and he would, uh, when he got exposed, James Randi exposed him. I remember he went on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and talked about it. It was published in a magazine. They had the audio recording proving what he was done. And so I'll make it fairly brief here, but just describe it. Peter Popoff would get up in front of a crowd. He'd come to town, and he would start telling how either Jesus or the Holy Spirit was sending him a message and I see the initials M L. It's a lady. She's suffering from rheumatoid arthritis. I see a doctor's, you know, report. I see Doctor, you know, F. And there's a lady there. Those are her initials. Her doctor is Doctor Frederick. That's her disease. <gasps> That's me. She comes up and he heals her. So, um. They they sent in, uh, James Randi, they took a postman, male, and they dressed him up with a wig and a dress and sent him in. When he went in, there were greeters at the door that met them and, oh, and they're asking you questions about yourself. And he told them that he had uh, ovarian cancer. Well, sure enough, during the healing, Jesus or the Holy Spirit reveals to Peter Popoff that there's a woman there with his initials or whatever that has ovarian cancer. He comes up and of course it's a man. Next step they did, they went in with the shortwave radio and they found the sequence that was being used. Popoff's wife was in a trailer behind. And so when you went in there, somebody talks to you and you think they're being nice. They're asking, oh, are you hoping for a miracle? Oh, and what are you hoping for? They're compiling the data they give it to her. She's feeding it to him. And he's not hearing from an angel or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. He's hearing from his wife in the trailer. She's making fun of the people as they're coming down about their appearance and, or, or whatever. And uh, Randy went in with a shortwave radio, picked, found the frequency, and recorded it. That's just one example. Now, not everybody in Pentecostalism as that motive or as trying to see people. Some truly think there that there's something going on, but there's been a lot of charlatans that do things like that. And it's one, it's just horrible before God to be presenting a charlatan thing like that and claiming that it's of God. It's they're doing it to enrich themselves. They're deceiving poor people who then might throw away their hearing aid or their crutches or their medications only to have to go back and get them uh, again or worse, suffer without them. And uh, that's, uh, the, the, and it's usually much more palpable and easy to see through than some of the better magicians, but people fall for it. Scott, on that uh, example you gave with the gentleman that wore a wig and everything and pretended he was a woman, he went up on stage. Did he expose that he was a man by taking off the wig and everything? I didn't see it, but if I remember correctly in reading about it, there was an article about it in one of the magazines. This was back in maybe early 90s, maybe, or late 80s, maybe late 80s. Yeah, maybe 80s. Um, uh, they realized, like... I think she says maybe in his ear, it's a man. 
you know, so partway through, they realized that they kind of got snookered. But I don't know that he exposed right then, but that helped identify to them, here's, you know, what's going on. And then the next step was go in with the shortwave radio. And uh, so, so you, you know, there's an interesting contrast that I think I see when I look at the New Testament, where we do read about the apostles and others who had the ability to heal, miraculously heal people. And some of these faith healing services that we talk about today, the apostle Paul, when you think of the apostle Paul, what was he known for? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Stephen, first thing that comes to your mind, what's the apostle Paul known for? He used to persecute Christians. He used to persecute he, Christians. Sure. What about after he became a Christian? What's the first thing that comes to your mind, Drew? He's being persecuted. He's being persecuted. Okay. Scott, what's the He's spreading the gospel. He's spreading the gospel. That's why he was being persecuted. He is spreading the gospel, right? Okay. So let me put the question another way. When you think about his work, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? He did a lot of miracles. (laughs) (laughs) This was an utter failure. All right. When I think of the Apostle Paul, what what, what first comes to my mind I think of I think of what he taught. I think of what he wrote in the book of Romans. I think of what he wrote in the book of Galatians. I think of his other epistles. And he, I mean, extensive teaching, thorough teaching, practical teaching, doctrinal treatise type teaching. Uh, then if, if I think about, um, if I go to the New Testament, uh, well, I, think, I think of sermons. I think of his sermons in, in Acts chapter 13, where he's in Antioch. Um, but when I go to the New Testament, I do find that he did miracles. I, I read about uh, in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, insomuch that under the sick were carried away from his body handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from him, and the evil spirits went out. Paul did miracles, and by then... That was them, the primary thing. That wasn't a primary thing. That was a means to an end. And when you think about right. faith healers today... Do you think about their their um, their extensive teaching on on one thing or another? Mostly, what you th- what mostly what people go to them for is to see a faith healing or to get a faith healing. In fact, they're called faith healing services sometimes. And yes. if there is, a, if you can say the 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 so called healings are a means to an end, the end more often than not appears to be fundraising. You know. Coming yeah. to oh, bringing the money. Yeah, there's just a different. Drew. Go ahead. Yes, absolutely, Drew, and then Stephen, and then I want to share a slide. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, when you were reading about that in uh, about Paul, Jeff, it was it was someone he was writing about Paul doing miracles. Do we have any examples of Paul? talking about his miracles or do we see him doing a miracle or does talk about the signs of an apostle that he, he, when he writes to the Corinthians, he talks about how he had the signs of an apostle. He could do the things that vouched for his apostleship. Yeah. But that's different than in the case of Jesus, we see him actually doing the miracle, right? We, we see the act of Jesus doing the miracle. Um, well, we Paul raises. Act, we saw the act. I think Peter of doing the miracle, but I'm Paul not raises sure. Eutychus from the dead. You know, was that we Paul? Have, yeah. In right, so that, that was also, and that and that then means I had a struggle to think of any, which is 
what I think the point you're trying to make that Scott yeah. made, that's not the focus of what they're doing. And today that is the focus. And yet today when you go to those things, I don't, every time I'll see a, a, a YouTube clip or something like that, I always see the miracle effect, but I never see anyone talking about forgiveness of sins or the need to be forgiven of sins. It may get mentioned, but it's not, it's not what people are there for. Right. Uh, now, I don't know if you were dealing with it, but I see a difference in the two different types of audience. The audience that was going to the illusionist is going there to be entertained and they know it's tricks. But the audience that's going to one of the faith healers, that's a different audience. They, they actually are involved in emotionally and believing that this is possible. They're not going there to be entertained, at least. And they're, they're being victimized. Yeah. And they're being yeah. victimized. They're being- they're being deceived and they're listening to a voice other than the good shepherd. Stephen. You know, as you think about the purpose of miracles, and this is true for Jesus' miracles too. Jesus did true miracles. Paul did true miracles. The apostles did true miracles. But all of the people who were healed of their disease, what later happened to them? Got sick and died. They died. Even the people that Jesus raised from the dead, what happened to them? They end up dying. They died twice. <laughs> um, they're not still walking their earth with us today. And if that's all that religion is about, is healing people temporarily to die later. I mean, it would be, it's nice if someone's life can be extended. But the miracles, all the miracles Jesus did were to point to deeper spiritual truths. He can raise you from the dead physically to die again. He can raise you from the dead to live eternally. And that's something that's really important about Jesus' miracles. I've heard it put this way, that uh, Jesus' miracles were parables of healing. Uh, If he can make the lame man walk again, he can help you spiritually. If he can open the eyes of the blind man, he can make you see spiritually. And so that's very vividly. You see that very vividly in Luke 5. The lame man is lowered through the roof. And Jesus is going to heal him, which is a wonderful blessing for the lame man. And it's what his friends wanted. But before he heals him, he says something. What does he say? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees are saying, who can do that but God? And he says, why do you say that? Which would be easier? To forgive sins uh, or make a lame man walk? Now, what can man do? Can we walk up to somebody and make all their sins go away? No. We walk up to a lame person and make them walk. No. Who can do both? God. Then Jesus said, so that you will know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Then he did the miracle. And so was the, the miracle was a great thing for the man, but the greater thing was his sins were forgiven, and the miracle was the point of that. That's right. In fact, the specific miracles that Jesus did, um, often what we're seeing is a physical uh, demonstration of a spiritual idea. When Jesus could heal the blind, he could give spiritual sight. When he could uh, cleanse the leper, he could cleanse us from spiritual defilement. Um, That's kind of a, a thing that's interesting to notice. Let me get up. We're just about to run out of time. I want to share this chart here real quick. Um... Where are, because there are people that say that these miracles are going on today. And so where is the modern day Dorcas, the modern day Lazarus, the man lame from birth leaping after 40 years? Where are the tongue speakers? Real quickly, Oral Roberts said that he raised the dead. 
Evangelist Sir Roberts said he raised people from the dead. He made these comments on the radio, and here, look at his quote. I won't tell you how many of the dead have been raised under my ministry, he said. I had to stop and go back in the crowd and raise the dead person so I could go on with my service. So somebody has passed out or stopped breathing or fainted or something, uh, and they've either been revived or woke up or whatever, and they go on. That's a lot different than going to a tomb four days after somebody was buried. Um, and then there's, uh, oh, remember, he also uh, got a message that he needed to raise 800 or he was going to, mil 8 million or he was going to die. Uh, this is an interesting book. It's by William Nolan, Healing a Doctor in Search of a Miracle. I loaned this book to somebody and never got it back, so I need to reorder it. He was a doctor that investigated. Uh, he was a traditional doctor, but he wanted to see if there was something out there investigating different claims. And he worked for one of the faith healers, and his job was to offer a wheelchair to the people who came in hobbling or with the cane. Think how the optics of this work. You come in on a cane, a nice gentleman offers you a wheelchair, you get wheeled up to the front. Now when Catherine Coleman takes your hand and lifts you up and you stand up, what does the audience think? Oh, wow, healed. <laughs> yeah, but they're the ones that supplied the wheelchair. A lot of interesting stuff in that book. And on tongue speaking, when I was in the Czech Republic, there were people over there uh, promoting tongue speaking as well. Remember a fellow, he's preaching in the street there, and he did what I did. He used a, a Czech translator. Uh, we'd both gotten over there. I didn't speak Czech. He didn't speak Czech. We needed Czech translators. And so while he's promoting tongue speaking, he's having to have a translator. You know, and he's preaching, and he's talking, and then he starts speaking in tongues. And the translator doesn't know what to do. <laughs> so if he truly had the gift of tongues... What could he have done that would have been assigned to unbelievers? He wouldn't have needed the translator. He wouldn't need the translator. All right. Guys, excellent program. Excellent discussion. Thank you to Rose who went, uh, sent that question in. Uh, any other thoughts or comments before we sign off for the day today? Guys, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you. I guess that means I can still do a, do a card trick every once in a while. Want to pick a card there, Scott? <laughs> yeah, that one. Oh yeah, let me let me guess. <laughs> all right. Good seeing all of you. Thank you for your input. Thank you from the audience. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good day.